0: So, what I want to say is what a blessing it is to be here this morning and persevering nonetheless, and I have a, my little stash of of coffee, and if I, if I pause, it's only probably because I have to sneeze, so I'll just beg your indulgence for that this morning. I warned Peter, I said, Peter, if it looks like I'm going to sneeze, you know, mute the mic so I don't really, uh, I won't really overpower you. Okay, so this morning, um, here we are two weeks away from Christmas, and everybody's all excited. So... Um, guess what I'm not going to talk a lot about this morning. I'm not going to talk a lot about Christmas. Actually, what I am going to do, though, is I am going to talk about, um, how would I say this, how Christmas ties into a bigger picture. So basically what I mean by that is, how is Christmas tied into the main thing? So how I, what I titled this is keeping the main thing the main thing. So we're going to talk about that. So this isn't, when I say it's not, I'm not going to talk about Christmas. I am going to talk about Christmas, but it's not going to be this, you know, it's nice light, you know, the angels revealing themselves and we all walk out of here. I'm actually going to talk about something that I talk about a lot. In fact, I have to confess, when you ask me to preach a sermon, I've probably only got two topics I want to talk about and the rest of them I don't, it's not that I don't care about them, but this is what's on my heart. So I want to talk about the building blocks of the gospel as our starting point. So the other thing I'm going to give you permission to do, this is probably a little bit rare. I want you to get your phones ready. We're going to actually, I want you to record what's up on that screen. Not yet though, I'll tell you when to do it. So get your phones ready because I want you to take this away. So in, this seems like incredible, but in 2020, we were in start of COVID and we couldn't meet in person. We did a series and it was called Mechanics of the Gospel. In fact, uh, I love the series so much. I'm using the same background that Lori developed for the series because it's got gears and it's really impressive. So, um, but what we did, we said, "Hey, what's the you know in a, in a world where COVID has kind of got us all preoccupied, and again, this is 2020, we didn't have a vaccine or anything." We so said, "What are the fundamentals that we want to focus on?" So we came, we you know worked at this, and we said, "Here's the fundamental building blocks." This is on our website, by the way. But the first one is. There is one God, by who and for whom all things exist. So um, let's let's start there. You know, the universe was created by God. He created it so all things exist, but he also created it to glorify him. So this just didn't happen because God woke up and said, well, I'm going to do this and, you know, because I have nothing better to do. God said, "I I want my creation to glorify me. So. The pinnacle of his creation was mankind. Remember he said, we'll create God, uh, create man in my own image." But here's one of the problems, or here is the big problem, is he also gave us free will. And as soon as he did that, we very quickly learned that we could make our own choices, whether they were in line with God's or not? Well, that was up to us, wasn't it? So we have separated ourselves from God, his perfection, his holiness, by our sin. And, you know, one of the analogies I have here is, you know, you can't take, you can't take uh, pure, let's say it's milk, it's white. You can't, you know, throw chocolate in it and not, you know, and it turns brown. well you know what? You can't get it back to white again. So basically, once sin enters your life, it, it, you, you know, the purity is gone and God can't tolerate sin. He doesn't want sin to be there. So we've separated ourselves from God from our sin. The good news is that God, and he knew this was going to happen, by the way, so he provided a solution to our sin in Jesus Christ. And the best way I can explain this the one I use a lot. If it's kind of like going to a vast canyon, and God's on one side and we're on the other, and there's no way we could ever jump across it. But God provided a solution, and that solution was for his was for Jesus to take the form of a man, live on earth for about thirty three years, and he died a physical death on the cross. He was dead, he was buried, and he predicted that he would rise again. Just as he predicted that was gonna happen. He rose from the grave. He conquered death. And we are saved by accepting Jesus' sacrifice, that sacrifice of his own death and repenting of our sins. And the really famous verse, Acts two thirty eight, when this is the first time the Holy Spirit showed up in a powerful way and people were convicted by Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. And what did Peter, and they say, what shall we do to be saved? The crowd goes, what did he say? The first word he says is repent, turn away, turn around from the life that you're living and turn towards me. He says repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins in the name of Jesus Christ. So we're saved by that, by turning around, and we are called, because we've turned away from our sinful life, we're called to follow Jesus with our whole lives. That's the theme I'm gonna talk a bit more about this morning. And number seven, when this age is over, those who follow Jesus will go to be with him for eternity in heaven. Now, folks, I'm, even though many would say I'm getting pretty old, I still can't imagine what eternity is. And I think that's a great thing, because it's, you know, I, I'm glad I worship a God that I don't fully understand, right? Because if I fully understand, it probably means I made it. So there's eternity in this. And, you know, that's hard for us sometimes down here on earth to remember. But when this age is over, those who follow Jesus will go to be with him for eternity. Okay, now I would like you to get your phone out and take a shot of those seven things. And here's why I would like you to do that is because I would, uh, I'm going to ask you to keep that handy. By the way, I'm going to move out of the way a little bit while you do that. So I don't want to be in the shots at all. So there we go. That's on our website, but those are the building blocks of the gospel we had. By the way, 83 words. So pretty succinct. And I don't really care if you have them memorized exactly the way we have them there, but I but I really want you to commit those. Uh, let's make a, a let's make an early New Year's resolution. Let's commit. Hey, we're gonna. We're going to look at those uh, a lot and commit those to memory. Okay. So we're called to follow Jesus with our whole lives. So that's one that I've picked that I've that I picked out because it's the one that ca- tells us that it's the one that's the here and now. The other things in there have already happened. Jesus' death, although the, when we accept Jesus, that's a thing that can happen now. But we want to follow Jesus with our whole all lives. So what does this mean? So this is not meant to be an exhaustive list, but here is we've preached a lot of you know a lot of messages in the last couple of years on this theme. So the first thing it means, it's a lifelong commitment. Now, it doesn't say it's a commitment that lasts your whole life. It's what it means is from the time that you repent, accept Jesus as your savior and you commit to follow him for the rest of your life, that that's what we that's what a lifelong commitment is. So when you if you're 95 and you accept Jesus and 2 days later you die you get the same reward as somebody who is 15 and lives to 95 and was a christian for 8 years we all get the same reward so there's no so really clearly we don't earn our way ever into salvation salvation is not works it's totally by the unmerited favor that we are able to accept accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and turn away but When we do accept Jesus, then we have to follow him. And so what does that mean? So one of the things is that Jesus is the center of our life. Yeah, we all kind of go, yeah, sure, it's the center of my life. But here's another way to state it. He is the one in authority. So a a term that I saw a few years ago that I started reminding myself a lot of is I think of Jesus as King Jesus. Now, actually, we do have a new king, right? But it's a figurehead. We don't actually bow down to worship Charles III. But what's interesting is and in fact our society is actually very much aligned we don't want to serve any anybody right we're very independent we in the western westernized world grow up you know you're in You're create your own way create your own path don't worship any don't you know don't be dependent on anybody else as an authority but i actually want us to absolutely keep jesus in as our number one authority i think of king jesus i kind of picture okay what do you do if you're giving your allegiance to a king well, we obey, and we trust. I actually have this image of kind of kneeling down and saying, Lord, I, I'm in a spot, as we were just praying about when we were doing our prayer time, where I don't understand why I'm here, but I trust you. I know that you're with me. I know that th- circumstances will change, and I'm going to obey you, even when I don't know why, even if I don't know how. And it's a lifelong process of growth. So that's a when we say we follow Jesus with our whole life for the rest of our life. Guess what? That doesn't mean, hey, I'm saved. I'm gonna just stop growing. I'm gonna sit in my, I'm gonna sit in my rocker for the next forty years and enjoy enjoy being saved. That is Absolutely not, what we're expected to do. Remember, we're not saved by our works, but we're saved for works. So one of the things that um, when we talk about uh, following Jesus, I want to really emphasize it's not a rules book. By the way, I um, if I think back on conversations I've had in the last 10 years with people who aren't committed to their faith or even maybe even connected to a church, a vast majority of people, at least in this part of the world, probably grew up and at least casually attended a church in their youth. Or And when I asked them why did they stop or when did they stop, a lot of them said, I stopped going when I was old enough to tell my parents I wasn't going to go. And so basically, whatever age that is, uh, certainly as a teenager, and I would ask why, it's, this, is, this is almost universally the answer, because the, cause the church that I went to when I was a kid um, made me feel like the Bible and being a Christian was just following a bunch of rules. And if you broke the rules, everybody got mad at you or gave you a slap on the wrist or, you know, Tiss, tiss, kind of thing to keep you in line. And it felt like just a big bunch of rules. Not only could I not keep them, but you know what? When I looked at the leaders of my church, they couldn't keep them either. And they were condemning me because I wasn't going to do it. Hypocrite. Like I hear that a lot. So, folks, I want to really stress when we talk about following Jesus, I'm not, it's, there's not a rule book that says these are the 20, 30, 50 things we have got to do. In fact, that's already been tried. That was tried. When the in the kingdom of Israel, they had the Old Testament is full of the rule book for following, for following God. And guess what? They couldn't do it, even though it was black and white. Do this, do this. Nope. And you know what? A lot of times when they went through, they did they did the actions, but they didn't do it with the heart. They would sacrifice, you know, without having the right heart. So I want to really strongly emphasize when we talk about following Jesus, it's not dig out the rule book and follow the rule book. It's principles. And here's one of the this is, there's only a few scriptures that you need to know to support this. Here's the first one, Matthew 22. This appears in other places in the gospels as well. Teacher, this is a question that comes from a, uh, a, a teacher of the law, or sorry, a, a member of the kind of the teaching or the, the ranking uh, religious leaders in Jesus' time. It says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, okay? Second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And this is a great statement. All the law and the prophets, basically the Old Testament and all the teaching that came after that, hang on these two commandments. So what he's really saying, if you get these two wrong, the other 600 don't matter. And in fact, if you get these ones right, you're, you're going in the right direction. You don't really, the other ones will follow if you get it right. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And there's one more, you guys knew this was coming, from Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. This is Jesus just before he ascends into heaven. So he's, he's been crucified, he's resurrected, and there was a period of about about 50 days where he appeared in various times to his followers, not to, you know, not in a triumphant way, but mostly in a Mostly quiet way, although several hundred people are, uh, Paul said, have, have seen him, and basically Jesus says, "Come to them," and said, "We're talking about his disciples." So Jesus came to them and said, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." By the way, when somebody make think about that claim for a second, he's like, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's like, hey, I'm the man. I've got it all. All authority's been given to me. And another way we'd probably say today is pay attention to what I'm going to tell you next because the next word is therefore. Because I'm in authority, therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And we read, you know, what the best two commands are that we have to do is love God and love our neighbors and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So folks I'm going to wrap up the summary of the principles that we need to live by on those two passages of scripture and if we get those right all the other stuff is going to follow out of that and i haven't talked anything about christmas yet have i so uh so one of the things that again i've had to really teach myself as we talk with other people when we read that we're go and make disciples what does that mean well the dictionary definition, and by the way, we've had several sermons on this in the last year or so. The dictionary definition would say it's an apprentice or it's a learner, you know, in the day when you're a, a master carpenter and you're going to work under somebody else as an apprentice. But I actually like this, the dif- that definition isn't all that helpful, so I actually like, what's a, what's a, what are the characteristics of a disciple, of a follower of Jesus. And we're gonna go to this scripture, again, one that we use a lot, Matthew 4, 18 and 19. This is Jesus calling his first disciples to him, of which a couple of them happened to be fishermen. So this is while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, that's Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting it into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I'm sure some of us who, you know, basically been in the church a long time have heard that a lot. There used to be a Sunday school song. We used to sing along those themes too. So there's there's interesting, that little short uh, quote from Jesus, follow me and I will make you fishers of men." That actually gives us a really good hint or really aspects of what a disciple looks like. So the first one a disciple of Jesus does is follow me. There's a mental ascent to just say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to make you the authority of my life. So we kind of do that with our head. The second one is, and I will make you, in other words, I will change you, or I will transform you. So that's happening with your heart. That's a heart transformation as you're following Jesus. And the last one is, I will make you fishers of men. We do that with our hands. And so when we kind of combine these, this is is the definition I like the best. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, in other words, with you know, mentally we've made the decision to do that, is being changed by Jesus. I like the word transform, that's in our heart, and is committed to the mission of Jesus, okay? So a disciple is someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. What's the mission of Jesus? you give us in Matthew 28, he said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. So basically, that is, to, to go back to the characteristics I put there before, you know, using that definition it's a lifelong one it's a lifelong commitment Jesus has first position in our lives and it's a lifelong process of growth so when we kind of start with that as a basis of that definition of disciple it's someone who's following Jesus being changed by Jesus committed to the mission of Jesus when we are a disciple of Jesus we, how, how, would we, how would we what characteristics should we see in our life because you can't really see that I've been transformed by looking at me you can't really see whether I've kind of got, I'm committed to the mission by looking at me. But there are certain things that we can look at to say, hey, is there fruit, is there spiritual fruit in my life? And the, by the way, I'm a horrible, horrible gardener. So I'll just, you'll have to take it. This does happen if you know what you're doing. Um, but when you plant a, tr- a fruit tree, it takes a few years to put down roots before it can you know, be able to provide produce fruit. And producing fruit is kind of, the the, the kind of has to be a healthy tree to produce fruit. When it's unhealthy, the first thing it does is it doesn't produce fruit. So Galatians five twenty two and twenty three has. By the way, this isn't meant to be an exhaustive list, but Paul says, "But the fruit of the spirit is," and he lists nine characteristics. And I'm not. Uh, you can preach several sermons on either one of these. So this should be, if we're following Jesus and we're being changed by Jesus and we're committed to the mission of Jesus, we should be able to see some evidence. Of these characteristics in our life again there's you can you can find dozens more but i just these are a really good encompassing one so the first one is love and you know i'm not talking about love for our family or you know love for our grandkids or i'm talking about love for others because what did jesus say love your neighbor as yourself so how are we expressing our love by the way we're loving our neighbors the second one on that list is joy And we talk about this quite a bit. Joy is not the same thing as happiness. Happiness is completely circumstantial. I feel happy because it's Christmas. Well, you know what? When we're a follower of Jesus, we're joyful no matter what our circumstances are. In fact, uh, Paul writes several times, you you know, be joyful. You know, rejoice. Be joyful despite your circumstances. That's because we have a hope. In Jesus. Number seven on that list of the building blocks of the gospel is we're going to get to spend eternity with God. Peace. That's the, other thing, the way I put this, I think that we need to be peacemakers. And to be peacemakers, that doesn't mean that we have to you know, show up and beat people up if they're not being peaceful, but we have to be aggressive about being peaceful. And what I mean by that is withdrawing from people, withdrawing when there's conflict or withdrawing when there's difficult situations you know, you're not being a peacemaker. So basically, but peace is a sense of, I would say it's a sense of contentment, but it's a sense of internal contentment with your relationship with Jesus despite the external circumstances that you face. Patience. Let's skip that one because I don't like that one. Uh, no, I, I, I'll share with you folks. I actually have, I, have uh, I did this a few months ago. I actually wrote down three of these on a sticky note, and I stuck it on the monitor in my office. I'll tell you what three they are at the end. I'll just say this is one of them. so I struggle a lot with this one, and not patience i have I have a lot of patience for some things. I'm glad Nancy's going to see this video later, but she would probably be laughing harder than anybody else when we talk about patience. I' to say the 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 more mature we are in Jesus, the more patient we are waiting for his his word to be revealed or, or something in our life to be revealed. Kindness. That kind of goes without saying, guys. Here's, here's what's really interesting, though. Those kindness and goodness, we can do good without being kind. So I can do good things. I can go take, you know, put $20 in the Salvation Army kettle. So, you know, that's a good thing to do. But I can do it with the wrong heart. I can do it begrudgingly. Or, and guys, let's face it. If there's one thing that's missing in the world today, it's around us. It's kindness. What an unkind... Ungrateful people we've become. Our society—it's shocking. You'll stand out doing the most minimal kind thing. You'll stand out today. Talked about goodness, faithfulness. Hey, we're talking about following—you know—following you know, following Jesus, and making a lifelong commitment. So, and again, your faithfulness uh, overcomes your circumstances, and it's independent of your circumstances as well. Gentleness. This one was always one I think. Ah, why is that in there? Um, because i think there's a, you know there's a, a famous proverb a gentle answer turns away wrath well we're in a society all we want to do is get our social media account fired up and just start you know pounding away there's not much gentleness so gentleness in our discussions you can speak the truth in love and you can do it in a powerful way but do it in a gentle way that you're not you know in person online or whatever show gentleness and self-control so I've always gotten this one because it's like, yeah, we need self-control. But self-control is around, to me, it's like build the right discipline into your life. It doesn't just mean, you know, I don't speed when I drive or whatever. It's no, it's I build practices that allow me to get closer to God. I build things into my life that will allow me to be more Christ-like in what I do. I'm going to share the three that I have on my, my sticky notes. By the way, that doesn't mean I have the other six I'll figure out either. These are just three that I'm super bad at. One is patience. One is gentleness. One is gentleness. I found myself in this season of not of giving some less than gentle answers to crazy situations, and the last one, although I don't think I struggle with this, I t- think about this a lot, as self control. So am I self controlled in my speech, my self controlled in the way that I present myself, and so those are the three that I have, I've on my, I uh, have on my monitor and my sticky notes. All right, so at the harbor. We have, again, this is all on our website. We did a lot of work a few years ago and put together a vision statement uh, with a lot of input from people. By the way, if you haven't looked at that lately, you should pick one of those up. We put that together way before we had any clue we were going to be here, and it still applies. If you were just going to, you can put the, it was independent of location, so it's pretty cool. The first thing that we say, we want you to take away three big pillars of what we do here. The first one is we follow Jesus. No, we don't. Notice we don't just say we we teach about God, because you know if you know Jesus, you'll know all about God. And it's follow Jesus. It's not know. It's follow Jesus. That's a big differentiator. By the way, I'm, uh, if you look at church statistics in Canada, it's unbelievable how few people actually i would say really kind of do the bare minimum to follow jesus in our society the last stats from the last census census that i saw said today there's only going to be out five percent of the canadian population will be in a a worship service five percent and i'm not even sure that those five percent would say hey i'm a real follower of jesus but that's the kind of happens so, this should, and love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. How do we show that? We follow Jesus, because to do that, we know, we know God. Second one, love others. We talked last night about our dinner, and, and we're, you know, we, we wanted to, that to be a chance for us to invite our friends to who don't know Jesus, and there were, it was encouraging to see uh, people do that. And the last one is pursue growth. And this one, again, just says we can't just accept Jesus and sit stagnant. We have to grow. We have to put effort into growing. Will we ever make it all the way up this mountain to be, hey, I'm as Christ-like as Jesus? Well, of course not. But we need to be working our way up uh, our whole life pursuing growth. That word pursue is important. It's not just like, well, if growth happens, great. No, there's a pursuit. I've got to deliberately focus on it. I've got to use, you know, I want to see in my life love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I need to see that in my life. That's part of my pursuit. Hey, we're going to talk about Christmas. So where does Christmas fit in? If we're talking about the gospel, where does Christmas fit in? There's our seven things. It should be pretty obvious. Christmas fits here. Not surprisingly, right in the middle. So God, had, God provided a solution to our sin in Jesus Christ. And the way he did it is mind-boggling. Instead of Jesus coming down in this, you know, with fire and, and kind of say, hey, I'm the, I'm the Messiah that you read about, and I'm Jesus, you need to bow down and worship me. He came as a, the most humble of circumstances. He never owned a home. I don't think he ever owned anything in his, in his life when he walked on the earth for 33 years. Well, he probably owned something before he started his ministry. But um, he came down and he lived among us. Well, so he had to be born. He was born uh, on, you know, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And Jesus died on a cross and rose from the grave. So if he wasn't born, he wasn't going to be able to do that. So Christmas is there embedded in those, three, uh, those two things, which, you know, not coincidentally is, boom, right in the center of the gospel. So is Christmas important? Absolutely it's important. Is it more important than those seven things that we have listed there? No. It's a component of it. Okay. So I'm going to leave you with some, a, few, a couple of thoughts, actually three points. The first one kind of goes back to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your strength. It, it kind of goes back to the follow Jesus one as well. You can't understand anything about the Bible unless you know who Jesus is. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't read the Bible and find it out. But what I'm trying to say is if you're trying to, if somebody Make sense out of for you to make sense out of the Bible, you need to have an understanding of who Jesus is, because the Bible is Jesus is the key to unlock what's in the Bible. So, if you, um, uh, uh, in my men's group, uh, we were joking well, not really joking we're saying like we were talking about reading the Bible and how some people uh, start at the front and start going end to end. That is definitely not your the way to get exposed to the Bible your first time through it. So. Yeah, Genesis is kind of exciting and Exodus can be, but boy when you get into Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus, it's like, wow, this is hard going. That's because that's, you know, those things were written probably 3500 years ago. And so basically, you know, Jesus didn't come, but they make more sense when you when you know about Jesus. So, so basically that's the key to it. So when we talk about love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, you have to know Jesus to truly I appreciate what that means. Second one is, um, don't let secular Christmas pressures take the gospel out of Christmas. Oh, this is like 10 sermons worth of stuff here, right? So it's okay to celebrate tradition. Like every family in here will have some kind of Christmas tradition uh, that's not based on any, you know, necessarily anything in the Bible. And some of the traditions are kind of really super weird how they came and we uh, embrace them today. But, you know, it's okay to celebrate those. But don't give those precedents over understanding where Christmas fits in the gospel and where it fits in your life. So instead of, uh, so really why I say this, don't let Christmas be this, um, oh, it's this big event. I'm not sure how it fits into the rest of the gospel. No, it's like it's, it's an event that happened in the middle of that gospel, of that gospel story. But, it's, but celebrate, I'm actually gonna challenge you to celebrate the gospel first and then celebrate Christmas's place in it. So again, I'm not trying to dull your Christmas celebrations. You know, I I enjoy a turkey coma as much as anybody else in here does. So hopefully that's what we'll we'll have. I was pretty close to that last night, by the way, because I went for seconds, and I not too many other people did, but I went for the turkey. So, and but yeah. So let's let and the and the, when I say secular pressures, it's like oh, we, you know, we we kind of neutralized the gospel out of Christmas, right? It's like oh. You know, we're gonna, we if we show the baby Jesus, we have all kinds of other stuff that we heap in there. Well, it's like, you know what, rather than argue whether the wise men were really there at Jesus' birth, which they probably weren't, um, basically, let's just celebrate the fact that Jesus was born, and that's part of the fulfillment of a, incredible promises that God uh, revealed through the Old Testament, and Jesus is that key to unlock a lot of the Old Testament that we read about. And the third one, I guess I've already kind of talked about that, is, hey, let's celebrate the gospel this Christmas. Let's celebrate that we're, you know, to go right back to those, uh, I'll, I'll kind of tie it back to the two the two uh, scriptures, Ed. Let's celebrate the principles that Jesus left us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your mind, and and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two fundamental principles. And go and make disciples and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So, so, so back to those seven points of the gospel that we talked about. That's why I want you to put those on your phone. Pull those up. If somebody's asking you, oh, what's Christmas about? I don't know. Just pull those up and say, hey, this is really what Christmas is all about. And in fact, if I were gonna, um, if I had the opportunity to redefine Christmas, which obviously isn't gonna happen, I would define it with the gospel and say, oh yeah, here in the, you know, we celebrate Jesus coming because that was sort of like the, Po- that was sort of the snapshot, the moment in time when the fulfillment of all those scriptures in the Old Testament came true. And that's also when the wheels were put in motion for his death on the cross. And the wheels were put in motion for his resurrection. The wheels were put in motion for those of us that have committed to be followers of Jesus. For us, to, uh, for us to accept him and follow him with our whole life. So, let's celebrate Jesus this season. And let's do it in a way that brings, gives him the glory. Uh, and not the, not the secular celebrations, which are fun, but let's give Jesus a glory in the way that fits into the gospel.